Welcome to the Spotlight series. Don't just survive, thrive. Most of us have experienced challenging times now more than ever. The key is how we choose to respond, whether we merely survive or thrive. My name is Nicola Steele, founder of JJP Talent Solutions, an Australian IT recruitment company. With over 20 years expertise, I provide insights on how you can transform your career to the next level. However, We are not just our careers. We are spouses, partners, parents, friends, etc., with a variety of needs and wants. In this podcast, I talk to a diverse range of experts from different professions, such as finance, law, psychology, and health, to provide insights on how you can survive and thrive. I don't have all the answers. However, collectively, we can instill hope, clarity, and inspiration. I hope you enjoy listening. I'm delighted to introduce Janine Lee. Janine is the founder and director of Domestic Violence Business Solutions, which helps corporate leaders and private professionals to reduce domestic violence and abuse in the workplace and at home. Janine, Thank you for joining me on episode 11 of the Spotlight series, Don't Just Survive, Thrive. Thank you, Nicola. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. Thank you very much, Janine. So, Janine, please tell me a bit more about your background and what you do. Yes, certainly. I've had um, an interesting background. I have been a former police officer for 23 years and worked in New Zealand as a detective and a senior manager, saving lives and solving complex crimes. I've assisted over 11,000 families with safety solutions. And and so my past has, has been a lot to do with, with policing and, and helping families. And I joined the police at the age of 24. And really, I've worked across so many aspects of policing that there really hasn't been anything that I haven't seen or that I haven't done across those years. Um, I worked on the street um, attending emergency jobs for approximately 10 years. And then I became a detective in 2004 and have been one ever since. Um, So during that time, I worked high-profile cases, um, worked over a decade with homicides and and solving serious crime. And then what I did is I... I then moved into um, leading a community policing team. I led a domestic violence team with a high intake team. And then lastly, worked on the family, um, the national family violence team working across New Zealand, where what we were doing was embedding policy, reviewing policy, and so forth, and being a practice mentor leading projects for the police. So I saw that there were some real gaps in and opportunities where we could really make a difference. And and that's why I decided to leave the police and start my own business, Domestic Violence Business Solutions, because I could see that there was such an opportunity where we could work with employers to really help them deliver more safety solutions in the workplace to, to create more supportive working environments for, for people across Australia. So that's when I moved across to Australia and, and I'm here now and I love it. That's an amazing story and you must have seen some incredible and also quite shocking things over your, your career there. 
And in terms of domestic violence business solutions, what, what's your overall mission and purpose with regards to that? Oh, and, and yes, I certainly have seen a lot. And, and you know, that that's really driven me to, to be very clear on what our mission and purpose is because it's about it's about helping people and creating safety. So our mission is around reducing domestic um, and family violence at work and home so that people can live their best lives. And the purpose behind that was is really enabling employers to be able to do more and and it's about helping them to build um, their capability across organisations by solving people problems, mitigating hidden risk and increasing personal and reputational brands so that people in workplaces can be safer and feel safer everywhere. Which, which must be really, really interesting and a, a very important mission there. Um, and I've read yeah. some stats recently that Whilst crime overall has actually decreased since the outbreak of COVID-19, domestic violence has actually increased. What would your comments be with regards to that? Yes, Nicola, it's a really mixed mixed messaging that we're getting at the moment in terms of any um, statistics, because what we're seeing really is that, to be honest, it's gone quiet, often gone quiet at the moment, and, and that's because... Families are adjusting um, to all being at home together. A lot of them are isolated um, in terms of being impacted by domestic and family violence. And so what happens is they're losing contact with people outside of their homes. There's a lot of financial pressures and unforeseen stresses that, that they're experiencing within the family home. And so I expect that there will be, in time to come, an increase in reporting of domestic and family violence. But right now, what we're seeing is the silence and it's because people have yet to be able to be able to leave their homes to be able to safely speak up because we've got people at home that are, are listening to our activities, our phone calls, our contact with other people. So it's not safe for them to reach out right now in some situations to be able to seek the help that they need right now. So a kind of element of fear to actually gain that safety aspect, which must be really, yeah, which must be really difficult as our homes are now our workplaces, our schools. That looks like in the future it it is going to improve. But how can employers improve people's safety and also their own company brand reputation during this difficult time and also in the, the short-term future as well. Absolutely, and and we can all do our part, and um, and it really links back to what we were just talking about before. So it, when, when there's an increase of risk of harm there, it's always about safety first, and so people aren't speaking up and they won't be talking to their employers. So what employers can do right now is, is really understand, first of all, that with COVID-19, there's been a big shift with our workplaces now being our homes. And so until recently, employers weren't necessarily required to do as much with around duty of care and work health safety obligations. But now Fair Work Commission and Safe Work Australia um, are communicating that there are those obligations now there for employers. And, and so the big issue now is, is how do employers speak up and communicate 
what their solutions are to be able to help people safely right now in their homes. And so if, if for example, before we had, um, we may have suspected that something was happening in a home, um, really uh, that's a foreseeable risk that now needs to be managed in terms of workhouse safety. And so it's, it's for employers, it's understanding for them how they can safely consult with their teams around this and, and ask the questions without um, singling anyone out in particular. And so it, it's around how do employers have these safe conversations and be able to check in regularly with their team members. So the biggest thing I think, Nicola, is, is employers, in terms of reputational brand as well, is gaining the trust and confidence in their team members to be able to speak up by having a domestic violence framework that's mm. safe and, and that works. And so really it's about leading from the top down and communicating what that what that looks like from an organisational perspective and how that integrates with policy and operationalising it. So what does that look like on the ground as opposed to being in a policy that's in a on an intranet somewhere or on, on a computer hard drive, for example? So how are they maintaining the privacy and confidentiality of an employee um, that's experiencing abuse at home, for example? What records are they keeping? Um, how are they storing those confidentially? And for a team member, if someone was required to take domestic and family violence leave right now, in this moment, how would they do that? So how has all that been communicated? Who do, who do they pick up the phone and tell? If the phone's not a, a safe way for someone to communicate at home, what strategies does have an employer have that they can safely reach out to be able to communicate that they do need some support? So there's a lot of complexities around around this right now in terms of reputational brand. Yeah, definitely. And for the, the victims, that isolation is a really big issue there as well. Um, and then from the, the company perspective, I think you have resources like frameworks and checklists and what have you that, that yeah. they're able to, to access, which... I can share on the, the show notes there. Thank you. So you've also developed the DV Safer um, and DV Work Accelerator programs, and they aim to deliver immediate and both long-lasting domestic violence safety to solutions to protect companies, employees, and also families. So can you tell me a bit more about the DV Safer and the DV Work uh, programs? Yes, yes, Absolutely. So our DV Safer and DV Work Accelerator programs, they focus specifically on safer support systems for workforces by providing businesses globally with the right tools so people know what to do, how to reduce domestic and family violence both at home and work. And the programs are made up of specific practice guidelines, toolkit materials, training and best practice implementation guidelines. So DV Safer, it's an accelerated program that's designed to reduce violence and abuse for individuals so they can feel safer and be safer everywhere. So it's, it's, it's looking at the individual and what we can do. So it's delivering a clear approach on how to immediately provide safety support. Um, and it covers um, safety management. It covers action plans. It looks at... Um, 
family, friends and home, the dynamics going on there, looking at the evidence gathering in terms of um, what's happening around them that, that can be supportive to, to, to giving them the right safety that they need and identifying the risk and a roadmap implementation. So there's a range of things that, that DV Safer does and and it's about, um, for example, navigating complex systems and court processes and that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's so exhausting to do that. So so it's really around uh, risk assessment, safety planning, journey mapping, cyber security, what does that look like, toolkits for home in terms of safety audits, um, protecting family and friends, helping with legal proceedings, communicating with employers, so many more things. So it's quite a um, holistic approach that we use to support individuals through DV Safer because what we know is that it's a bit like the domino effect. You know, if, if one aspect falls over, then the whole lot falls over and, and people end up starting again or they're not able to leave a relationship safely or remain out of a relationship safely. So that's what DV Safer is all about, is, is embedding really um, important safety practices to keep individuals and families safe during during that time. Yeah, so that's the DV Safer is if you were the, the victim or your family were the victim, be yes. accessing that particular programme. Yes, yes. And then the and then, the DV Work one is more of an employer type programme? That, that's exactly right. And DV Work, it's designed um, to implement solid systems to give employees that are experiencing domestic and family violence a confidential platform to be able to seek help without fear of them losing their jobs, um, affecting their current roles, discrimination against them or increasing especially further risk of harm at home as well because often when we try and intervene and help can increase safety risks at home. So DV Work guides leaders to implement safe and effective responses that they're applied consistently, so they're applied consistently across an organisation and it covers workplace strategy. It's around organisational capability, results and care and knowledge and connectivity. So that whole program, it's a broad spectrum of, of work that we deliver and it's looking at domestic violence leadership in the workplace. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Helping leaders with communication strategies. How do we communicate this to everyone? Um, what is our stance on that? It's looking at surveys within organisations. It's looking at existing policy or creating new policy and integrating that to operationalise it. Duty of care, workhouse safety, which is really, really important as well. And then workplace risk assessment. So we have individual assessments and, and risk for, for individuals at home. But then there's a very different thing to then have a safety plan, for example, in the workplace because it extends out to not only the individual and the manager um, supporting that, that person, but also to clients and contractors and, and other risks that come into the workplace as well. And then things like emergency management. So if someone was to come into the workplace, for example, we all know, like with a fire drill, for example, we know what to do. So what are our responses if, if someone was to come into the workplace and began threatening someone or had a weapon in the hand, for example, and things like that? So looking at case management as well in terms of lessons learned, and it, it's, it's, it's a whole workplace program. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. And they sound uh, like quite amazing 
programs there, uh, which again, I'll, I'll share those, those details on the show notes. And one of the issues that you mentioned is not being able to communicate, not being able to have a, either it being difficult to use your mobile phone or not having your mobile phone being taken away from you. Um, mm. So you can't inform people if you are the victim of this. And as a result of that, I think you uh, set up a company called DV Safe Phone. So tell me a bit more about the impact that that's having uh, in the current crisis and how people can get involved to help with that. We we are so excited about this, Nicola. It's just the most amazing program. So what happened was um, just a few weeks back, actually, it hasn't been going for very long. So we got started in April 2020 with this program. And um, a good friend of mine, he, he, he rang me and his name um, was, and he's from IC3 Solutions, um, Ashton Wood. He rang me and he said, Janine, I've got all this furniture. I've been in COVID-19 and we've got the most amazing furniture that we want to donate to domestic violence victims, but we can't find anywhere to donate to because they're all closed. What can we do and, and how can we help? And I said, well, Ash, the biggest thing we could do right now is have you got any mobile phones at home? Because we're really trying to get these out to to more domestic violence victims so that they can have a second phone as a safe phone to be able to to call for help if they need to. And 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 so that's how it got started. So what what we did is um, is we now have four founding business partners. So there's ourselves. Domestic Violence Business Solutions, IC3 Solutions, um, and we've got a PR um, company on board helping us and a Red Rose Foundation. And what we're doing is, is so we've set up this, it's just amazing, it's a call out to the community to, to go and dig in your drawers for your old working phones that you're not using and, and be able to donate them because it's about getting these phones to domestic violence victims who really need them the most. So we're passing them on to, on for free and so they can stay connected with their families and friends because what we know is that one of the first things to be broken or stolen or hidden and monitored is our mobile phone. And, you know, we all think about how much we individually use our phones. We, we do rely on them regardless of age and to do anything from our banking to looking things up on the internet to workplace things, to getting groceries, everything. And so it, what we want to do is provide a safe second phone so that if it is, if they are being monitored or they've been hidden or smashed or damaged or that they've got a phone that they can actually reach out for help. And so what we're doing is we're asking for donations and then what we're doing is we're sending them to King IT and they are checking the phones to make sure that they've been erased correctly so that all their personal information from the donated phones has been taken off correctly, that the phones are functioning correctly, that they're not locked, for example. And then we'll get them across to the Red Rose Foundation who are distributing them to victims in need. So people can go approach Red Rose Foundation and say, look, I am a victim of domestic violence and I need a phone and we'll get one to them. So so it's about just simply dropping it off or or posting it um, to us at PO Box 1440 uh, Queensland. 
Malulabar four double five seven and and we're we're getting fines to people. It's just a beautiful project to be involved in. Yes, and I know I've got a number of phones that are just lying around at home. So again, if you could send me that address, um, and I'll include that on the show notes because I'm sure a lot of people like myself, that you renew your phone or change your phone every couple of years. And what can you do with your old one? I know myself, we are addicted to our phones, but also they are our Mm. lifeline as well. So that's a really amazing project. Thank you. Thank you. We started out um, doing running it as a, and it's still on pilot stage at the moment and, and we're about to go national with the, with the project as well, but we've, we've had interstate people, um, companies, employers, individuals uh, posting us phones and, and reaching out all across Australia. So we're pretty excited to be able to to help nationally with this project. Yes, and it's also, I mean, I know it's a little off topic, but from an environmental perspective, it's also very good as well that it's reusing yes. those phones. So if you, well, actually, this is a twofold question. So say, for example, you are the victim or a member of your family is in this situation, what advice would you give? And also, if you're a company and you had a feeling or a suspicion that something was happening, what would your advice be? So in terms of the company, what what I would say is, is have a framework in place. So when you're having these difficult conversations or you suspect that something's happening, you know that that the framework you have is a safe one to use to be able to reach out. And so one of the biggest things that I would, would say for individuals, because we're always reaching out to individuals, so the process is the same for both, is it's about starting with regular lines of communication. So don't change the way you would communicate in a normal circumstance to that person. And I think that's the most the most important thing is, is staying connected with people. So it's not saying, hey, I'm really concerned about you right now in COVID-19. It's, it's, uh, it's checking in with them regularly and, and asking them, how's the whole family going? Rather than saying, oh, I'm worried about you in particular, for example. So it's understanding and knowing what a normal baseline of behaviour looks like with your relationship with that person and keeping that normality going. I think that's the most important thing because... When we can stay connected, we're exactly that. We're connected with a person and that's helping them. That is the biggest way that you could help someone. And if they need further help, they will know when it's safe to reach out and ask you for that help. So you're giving them the opportunity to do that if it's safe to do so. So that's that's my biggest piece of advice for anyone that's impacted by domestic and family violence is, is being there understanding you don't have to solve the problem but you're there if you if if they need it and and being that rock and being there showing up consistently is by far and large the biggest gift that you can give them because they know how to keep themselves safe so open communication and making yourself accessible as well uh, that you're always there if they need to talk that's right and they, they will raise they will raise things if if it's safe to do so but when we're on the end of a telephone, for example, we don't know who's in the background or if we're on a Zoom chat or, 
you know, in a business meeting, for example, we don't know if our computers are being monitored, our cell phones are being monitored, for example. Um, so what we don't want to do is unintentionally put someone at further risk of harm through the care that we're trying to 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 give them. Um, and so that's the safest way you can you can provide that help is, is to keep that baseline communication going the same so we're not changing up any questioning about what's, what's specifically happening at home for them at the moment. Thank you. That's that's really helpful advice. And finally, you mentioned about the greatest gift you can offer. You are also a member and an active contributor to the life-changing Buy One, Give One Fund. So tell me a bit more about that. I love I love this program. And so we're part of B1G1 because it's about bringing new purpose and meaning and relevance to our business. And we embed giving back into our business. It's a core function of what we do, um, working with clients and employers. And, and we're really about improving lives. And, and that's what B1G1 is all about. So it's about giving back to communities and and it's it, it's something I've always loved to do and and so it, it it's a core part part of what we're doing and you know we're really proud to already have um, contributed over four thousand impacts to date and a lot of that is by for example giving we've given over four thousand days of access to life saving clean water to families overseas for example we've given uh, school fees to disadvantaged children and and the list goes on and and so it's just our way of saying thank you to the community in return that's beautiful well Thank you very much for sharing your stories and insights and advice and and everything, Janine. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Oh, thank you, Nicola, for having me on today. And look, I know that people may have a lot of questions around this. And so you know, if people would like some confidential advice um, and private advice, please reach out because what I know is that if I can if I can help share some knowledge to be able to help you support someone else for any listeners out there um, it, it's it, it's an amazing how one small touch point can really improve and change life so please don't hesitate to reach out to, to come and ask that's lovely well thank you very much thanks Janine thank you you enjoyed this episode please remember to subscribe rate and review if you're looking for career advice your next career opportunity or to grow your tech team then please call me Nicholas Steele on 0499 773 546 or go to our website jjptalent.com.au the don't just survive thrive podcast is part of the spotlight series which includes the YouTube channel, Spotlight on Software Development. If you want more insights into the software industry, particularly tech startups, then subscribe to the Spotlight on Software Development YouTube channel. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>